We're going to be in Matthew. Typically uh, at the crossing, we go through books of the Bible. We're in the, the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but we're taking a break from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, uh, 34 through 40. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Matthew chapter 22. This is a familiar portion of Scripture to all of us. It is the great commandment. And as we do every week, will you please rise as we give attention to reading God's Word. Here we read God's Word for God's people. Matthew 22, the great commandment, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had been silenced by the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Please pray with me, Father. If we only had one verse, this would be one of those great verses, this great section of Scripture how you have revealed to us the greatest commandment. You, how you summarized the 613 laws in the Old Testament to these two, that we would love God and we would love our neighbor. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that, that look at this command and follow it. And not follow it begrudgingly, but follow it with joy, with passion. Because we understand that when we are in and following the commands of the Lord and the greatest commandment, Lord, there is where you will be and there is where your blessing will be. So Lord, let the crossing be a place where people in this community say that church loves God and they love their neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. All people said, Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> Again, we're taking a break from the Gospel of Luke. And so, um, Matthew 22. I got a question for you. What, what organization, what business, what organization has been or is having the greatest impact on the world? When you think about those organizations, such like an Amazon or Microsoft or Apple, what, what, what companies, what businesses, what organizations, as you look at, are having the biggest impact on the world? Maybe some of you little shavers in here, you teenagers, maybe it's TikTok, right? If you've made a TikTok video, go ahead and raise your hand. If I see someone like over 40, I'm going to be shocked, right? Over 22. Oh, Andy, real quick. Don't be shamed. There's no shame in your game. Go ahead. Raise it loud. Raise it proud. All right. All right. How about Twitter? Who's, who's made a tweet before? Like Twitter, right? Yeah, maybe, right? Uh, but maybe it's something like, a, maybe it's a country. Maybe it's like the United States of America or maybe even China. That's what we talk about influence over the world. Well, as I look at it, as I study history, the organization that's had the, has and is having the greatest impact is you. Is you guys. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Throughout the centuries, the church of Jesus Christ has had the most impact, the greatest impact on this world. And it continues to do that. More lives, more cultures, more societies have been impacted and transformed by the people of God proclaiming the message of God than any other organization or religion. It's incredible. And as we look at our culture today, as we look at our cities today, 
as we look at the world today, there still needs some work to be done, right? We, we, you and me, those who are called the sons of God, the daughters of God, those who are Christian, we need to step up and step in and be who we are. The ambassadors of reconciliation, the church of Christ. Your neighbors, my neighbors, your city, this country, this world needs you and I to be the church. That our words and our lives led by the grace and truth of Christ would be spread among our circles of influence. And as we do this, as we, as we engage our world with the gospel, as we engage our world and our neighbors with the, the truth of God's word, empowered by his spirit, informed by his word, he will bring others into the church and help it to continue to grow and impact our world, our country, our city, our neighbors. We know in Acts chapter 1 and 2, the church was born. That's when the church was born. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And the mission was given to us by Jesus. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says this, the, the Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, what are the ends of the earth? The ends of earth are Fort Collins, Colorado to the people back then. So we see that God has been bringing about His mission through the people of God and has been transforming societies and cultures for the past 2,000 years. And the crossing is a part of this. You and I are a part of this. The mission that He gave the disciples in the 120 in the upper room is the same mission that He gives us today. This is our mission. And this is what we're celebrating today. This truth that today that we're celebrating that Jesus Christ is and has been for the past 13 years been working through the crossing church, has been working through you and me, has been building His kingdom and transforming lives for the past 13 years through the crossing. And we're not done yet. we still got a lot of work to do. And it's going to take all of us following after Christ. In 2023, Here's the desire as we set forth in 2023. Let us be guided again by God's Spirit. And let us follow and obey and live out the great commission and the great commandment. And together as we do this again, we're going to look back and see like, man, we've grown. Individually and corporately as a body, the Lord has blessed this church because we've been about our Father's business. So what is our mission? How do we sum that up? How do we sum up the great commandment and the great commission? How do we implement that in the crossing? Because everything we do flows through those two pillars. Our mission is this. We exist together to make disciples for Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His peoples. That, that's where we've been. You, many of you guys have been part of the cross, and you guys can probably get up here and say what our mission is. And, and our three relational values in which we live out or which we execute that mission is through loving God, living in gospel community, and leaving a legacy with those who do not know Jesus. And so that's what we're just going to highlight today. So this is a great day for you to come if you're visiting. You go, what is the crossing about? This is what we're about. We're about loving God, loving our neighbor, and the best way we think we can go about doing that is by making disciples in community. And so here, let's take a little look. Again, this is going to be a high view of the great commandment. But first, you and I will make disciples by first loving God. 
You and I will make disciples by first loving God. Again, here's the context of what we're in in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus' ministry is coming to an end. He's already uh, ruffled the feathers of the religious elite and those ruling of the day. And he's going around. He's gathering this crowd. They're following him because he's teaching with authority like they've never heard before. He's doing miracles and healing. And so people are following. It's like, this, this is the guy. This is the Messiah, possibly. And they're following him. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees and again, the religious leaders try to trap Jesus. And in this section, they're trying to chap him, uh, trap him uh, because they want to dispose of him. They want to try and trip him up to have him say something that's not biblical so they can say like, see, he's a false prophet and get rid of him. And they ask him a series of questions in Matthew 22. It starts out with the questions like, okay, who should we pay taxes to? Again, trying to chap trap Jesus. The Sadducees ask him about the resurrection because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And the question here that the, they send this lawyer, the Pharisees send this lawyer to trap him is, what is the greatest commandment? Look at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, I think expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And again, they're trying to test him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to trip Jesus up. And there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. And they're saying, which one's the greatest? And Jesus gives a quick and authoritative answer. I love it. And he does something unique. He puts a unique combination together of two verses, two commandments that were never put together before until Jesus. Look at verse 27. He says to them, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Uh, The the, the first verse he puts together is Deuteronomy 6.4. It's the Shema. It's what every Israelite would say in the morning and in the evening before they would go to bed. They would gather their family and they would say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then the second part comes from Leviticus 19. It's the holiness code. Leviticus 19 is where a lot of the holiness codes. This is how you live if you're a follower of Yahweh. In Leviticus 19, it says this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So these are the two verses, this unique combination that Jesus puts together to describe the whole Old Testament. And what is the greatest commandment? And we're going to look at the second half in just a second. But first, we're going to look at the first half. First, again, we must love God. We must love God. And you've been around the cross, and you know, this is our vertical relationship. Uh, this is where God and man come together. This is our vertical relationship. And we know that we can only obey this. We can only love God because He first loved us. It begins with God. It doesn't begin with us reaching up to God. It begins with God reaching down to us. The only reason we can love God is because, as Scripture says, because God has first loved us. This is the first step. If we're going to impact our neighbors and the people in our circles of influence, then we must first be saved. We must first be saved by the love and grace of God, first and foremost. That He crosses us over individually from death to life. And then when He does that, He gives us a spirit. He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new identity. 
And what is that? How, how do we sum up that new identity? We talk about new identity a lot here. How can we sum it up? We can sum it up by this. I once was, but now am. I once was, but now I am. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was an enemy, but now I'm a disciple. I once was, we looked at last week, a child of wrath, but now I'm a child of God. I once was hated, but now I'm loved. That's the new identity that we have in Christ. I once was, I now am. This is where it all begins. If we're going to love our neighbor, it begins first and foremost by loving God who first loved us. And this is transformative because now we have the ability to love God because He first loved us. And this is so important because love, apart from God Himself, will not make a lasting change. We, we, we have numerous. We can just look at our world today. And we see that people love one another, but, lo- but the object of their love, the foundation of their love is not God, it's man. And it will eventually crumble. The Beatles. Who remembers the Beatles in here? Go ahead and raise your hand. Raise them high. All right. The Beatles sang a song in 1977. Number one hit. What was it? Love is all you need, right? All you need is love. Who's heard that song before? Even you young people have heard that song. All you need is love. Love, 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 love. All you need is love. And then what happened? The Beatles broke up. (laughs) So, So obviously they just got it half right. Love is foundational, but it's the object of your love that makes it lasting. And when you begin with humanity and you end with humanity as the object of love, and you separate or you take out God, He's not in the equation, then ultimately it ends in breakup. It ultimately ends in frustration and anger because other passions become more important to the individual like power, like pride, like my rights. This is why... The object of our love is so important. This is why we begin with God in our vertical relationship. So if we're going to be faithful to love our neighbors and to make disciples, then we must first begin by responding to God's love for us by by loving Him. First and foremost. With all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. That means our whole being. That's who we are at our core. Everything we do, we do to love God. And so what does love look like? First of all, we, we, we know what love is. Love, uh, Tina Turner got it wrong in her song, What is Love? If you guys remember that, she's a bad theologian. She said back in the 90s, what is love but a secondhand emotion, right? <clears throat> bad theologian, failed the test on that one, Tina. DC Talk, those great theologians got it right a little bit later. They said what? Love is a, is a verb. It's an action. Yes, there's passion and emotion behind love, but love with just passion and emotion with no action is not love. Love propels you to move, to do, to act. To do this and not do that. 
Again, not for salvation. That's already been accomplished. This is what we're talking about, the fruit of our salvation. My wife and I, we get to do premaritals. We love it. It's the favorite thing she loves to do is do couples premaritals. And one thing we do is we have them go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You guys know 1 Corinthians 13 is, is the chapter about love. And what we do there sometimes is we have them insert their name to where love is. To bring about this point that the love is not just a feeling. You can't just fall in and out of love. That's what the world says. No, it's an action. It's something that you do. And so we have the, the two individuals put their name in where love is. And so like in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient. I would say Aaron is patient. Aaron is kind. Aaron does not envy. And you start to feel the weight. And what you do is you see these couples. You can see where, where they struggle. Because like when even, even this really still has a smile on her face. When I say Aaron is patient, she's like, okay. <laughs> Need to work on that one, bro, you know, hubby. Um, that's part of it. But you see that love is an action. It's a do and don't do. Hey, love is patient, so be patient. Don't be impatient. Love, love is kind. Be kind. Don't be, you know, arrogant. Don't be unkind. Don't be mean. So love is a verb. So what does it look like for us to love God? What does it, what does it look like? If people look at our lives, they see action on what it looks like to love God. Let me give you some P's. This is for Joey Nichols because he loves alliteration. P's. I'm going to give you four P's. First, if we love God, we prize Him. We prize Him as our highest treasure. That He is the most important thing in our life. We prize Him. He's our most valuable treasure. Nothing is more precious than God, than Jesus in our lives. If we love something more than God, then what we are saying is that thing is better than God. Now, there's a lot of things that we can prize. There's a lot of good things out there that we can prize, and we should, we should prize many things. There are many things that we should say like, man, I love that. I, I love doing that. I love that person. I love that ministry. I love that. But there's only one that's at the center and at the foundation. Think of it as a, as, a, as a bicycle wheel, as a wheel. You have hubs and spokes, right? Our greatest prize is the hub. It's, it's God because God is the, the hub in which all the spokes go into so the wheel rolls correctly how it should. If we took a spoke like a, a family, uh, friends, our job, our hobbies as the thing that we prize the most, and we put it in position of the hub, and we put the hub where our spoke is, what's going to happen? The wheel might roll for a little bit, but eventually it's going to break and fall apart. Why? Because that's not the purpose of the spoke. But when God is at the hub, then the spokes all work accordingly, and the wheel rolls as it should. Matthew 12, 44 said this, The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and seals all that he has and buys that field. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more that we should prize than God himself. And then all those secondary things we prize, is okay, is good. They fall into its right line. Secondly, if we prize him, then we're going to prioritize him. If we love God by prizing Him as our highest treasure, then we're going to prioritize Him. We're going to order our lives around the Lord and God. Man, I get life is busy. I understand. I understand. Life is busy. We often get lost in the shuffle. 
we get overwhelmed with work, with school, with schedules, with activity, with interests, with family responsibilities. It can all come like a tidal wave and just knock us around. But we need to make time for the one who saved us. If he is the most important, if he is our greatest prize, if he is our greatest treasure, then we're going to prioritize our time spending time with him. We're going to be intentional. It's going to be consistent. It says, there's a stat on here, that the average church attendee attends church 1.7 times a month. Now, I know many of you, and we, we're beating that curve. Yes and amen, because you love God. But think about that. If you showed up at your job less than 50%, what would your boss think? This is not a priority. If it's not a priority for your job or other hobbies, then... then How is not showing up to worship the Lord on a consistent basis not driving your schedule? We prioritize Him through worship, through the Word of God. uh, When you prioritize or prize someone like my wife, she's my second to God. She's my priority. Uh, I want to love her and serve her. So how do we engage? We, We communicate. We talk to one another. And that's how we interact with God and prioritize God. We get into His Word because this is how He primarily talks to us through His Word. We pray to Him. That's how we primarily communicate to Him through prayer. So we prize Him. We prioritize Him. Thirdly, we praise Him. We praise Him. Now there's a number of ways in which we can praise. We, we start out by praying. We start out by singing. That's part of praising Him. But let me get a little bit specific. There's a number of ways, but, the, but this is, for me, one of the most crucial that I've seen. In, if you want to have a healthy love and view of God and it propels you to action, it's be thankful. It's cultivate a heart of gratitude, of thankfulness, of appreciation of, of what the Lord has given us, what He has done for us, first in the gospel. And then so many other things. I mean, if you make that list, you'll be writing down forever all the good gifts that God gives you. I mean, just think about right now, we get to come in Fort Collins, Colorado, where it's like 20 degrees out here. We get to come in this big room with chairs. We control the temperature. Some of you in short sleeves right now, and we're singing and worshiping the Lord. That's a great gift. And yet, 1.7 come to do this where we have brothers and sisters in China and the Middle East and other places where if they gather, if they get caught gathering, they they can be killed. They can be thrown into prison. Be thankful. Have gratitude. Be thankful for your spouse. Be thankful for your kids. Be thankful for your job. Thankful for your clothes. Thank you for your cars. Thank you for the ability to to go out and do the hobbies that God gives you. Thank you for this beautiful creation that we live in. I mean, people from all over the world come to the Rocky Mountains and it's our backyard. Be thankful. That's how we love God. We're thankful. That's how we praise Him. And finally, fourth, we, we proclaim Him. He's not our little secret. He's not your little secret. He's meant to, to be proclaimed, to be shown off, so to speak. When I first met my wife, and I didn't say like, okay, I don't want any of my friends on my, on, you know, I don't want any of my teammates to, to know who you are. No, I was like, yo, look, look what the Lord's giving me, this sexy mama right here. Well, she wasn't a mama then. She was a, <laughs> this sexy, I'm, I'm going to show her off. I want to tell people about her. 
That's how we love God. We prize Him. We prioritize Him. We praise Him. And we proclaim Him. If we want to make disciples, if we want to impact our our neighbors and our city and our culture, this is where we begin. We begin by loving God. So where in 2023 do you need to grow in this area? To be intentional. Is it prizing Him? Is it prioritizing Him? Is it praising Him? Is it proclaiming Him? Or is there something else? Again, this this isn't exhaustive. So first, we love God. Secondly, you and I will make disciples by second, loving your neighbors. You and I will make disciples by loving our neighbors. Matthew 22, verse 39. And here we see the two horizontal relationships that we talk about. Our first relationship is with the Lord. That's number one, which then informs all of our horizontal relationships. And every Christian has three relationships and three relationships only. The first relationship is with the Lord. That's our vertical. Our second relationship with the other Christians. And our third relationship is those that aren't Christian. Those are the only three relationships that you have. So through 2023, this is where we dial in. This is where our mission comes in. We want to grow in all these areas. A good disciple grows in all these areas. And these two horizontal relationships are living in gospel community, how we live together as Christians, and then how do we leave a legacy with those that do not know Jesus. And if your vertical relationship with Jesus is strong and vibrant, then that love is going to spill over to all of your horizontal relationships. This is how John says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another horizontal. And why can we love one another horizontally? Because I have first loved you vertical. Therefore, you also love one another. It's because God loves us. We love God, now we can love one another. Therefore, as a disciple of Christ, this should mark us. This should mark us that we love one another. And get this. Write this down. Meditate on this thought this week. That means there should not be anyone in your life starving for love. If you're a follower of Christ, there should not be anyone in your life starving for love. He has put you in their midst to be a lover and to love them. Especially in the church. Especially in the church. So this is what we're going to look at. This is our second relational value that we live in gospel community. So we want to love our number, uh, neighbors first by doing, as Paul says, good to the household of the faith, to be doing good to one another first and foremost. We want to live in gospel community. Acts 2, 42, Hebrews 3, Hebrews 10. These are all commands for us to not forsake the gathering, but to gather together as Christ's people because we need each other. This is where we live out the one another's of Scripture. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where life gets messy. This is where we... We come alongside one another and hold each other's arms up. We need one another. We live in gospel community. We are in a Genesis 3 world. We have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family. And God has given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word, but He's also given us community. One another to walk in that. That when we planted the church some 13 years ago, this was, for me, this was a non-negotiable. We wanted to root 
our body. This was a foundational pillar of the crossing that we want to live authentic lives, even though it's going to be messy, with one another, with the gospel leading the way. One scripturally, we just see it all over. This is this is this is this is a massive pillar in the early church and what God and what Christ has commanded us to do. But also, just practically, how many of you in here played a, st- a team sport before? Raise your hand. As you guys know, my background, I was an athlete. Again, the older I get, the better I was. But I was an athlete once, right? But the thing that I love, that I that I miss the most, yes, I miss playing. But one of the things I miss the most is the team. It's 25 guys in this locker room together with one goal through the ups and downs of 162 games in a long season that we're there for one another, we're encouraging one another, we're, we're challenging one another, we're helping one another. And I was like, man, I, I want that again when I got done playing. It's like, I want that again. And Christ says, it's in the church. And not only is it in the church, but it's the best place to experience community because that's where I am. That's what He's called us to. That's why it's been such a pillar. But I don't understand that it's hard sometimes. It's hard. It's countercultural to our individualistic world that we live in, both outside the church, but also sadly inside the church. There are churches that base their whole ministry just on Sunday mornings and the people don't see each other throughout the rest of the week. Where the church in Hebrews and other places say, no, as long as it's still called today, you need to be involved in community. One said this, Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. It moves us beyond self-interest, isolation of private lives, and beyond the superficial social contracts that pass for Christian fellowship. The biblical ideal of community challenges us to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. It's hard, but we need one another. Why is it so important? Because it's in community where the Lord helps us taste and see that He is good. It's where we get to experience the implications of the Gospel in community. Again, the one another's. There's some 59 one another's in Scripture. And we know them. It's love one another. Be at peace with one another. Um, Honor one another. Um, love one another, uh, instruct, teach one another, encourage one another. I mean, there's so many of them. But how we experience the one another's in our context is on Sunday gatherings. We get to experience this at a, at a larger level, but then also in our life groups and our journey groups that we take a, a larger group, a medium-sized group, and a smaller group because this is where we experience the gospel. For instance, when we pray for one another, when we're in life group and, and we're praying, last night we were meeting with a, a friend and, and we were serving him and loving him and we ended in prayer. And, and when, when, when people pray for one another, we're experiencing what the great high priest is doing for you and me every single day. That he is, he is interceding on our behalf before the Father. So it's a reminder to me that when you pray for me, it's a reminder to me that man, thank you for your praying, but it's also a reminder to me that Christ is praying for me. And Christ is praying for you. And it strengthens my faith. Forgiveness. We are called to forgive one another. When we forgive, when we sin against one another, and we extend forgiveness, we are experiencing the implications practically of Christ dying on the cross. 
for your sin and my sin. Positionally, we're already saved. We're righteous. We're seen as saints. But practically, we still sin against each other. And it's in life group where, where brothers and sisters come together. Man, man, I sinned against you. Please forgive me. You bet, man, I will forgive you. It's where we experience what Christ died for on the cross. What He secured on the cross. Our forgiveness. This is why we serve one another. In life group. It's a great place for us to strip away our self-interest, our selfishness in order to serve one another. It is here where we learn to share what God has given to us, whether it be goods or spiritual gifts. It's here where we get to experience Christ's humanity. Philippians chapter 2, where he says, not only look at your own interests, but the interests of others. That we lay our lives down for one another just as He has laid down our life. His life for us. We give of our money. We give of our time. We give of our resources. And as we do that, we are tasting and seeing the goodness of God work through one another. This is how God grows us. And so if we're going to love one another, we must live in gospel community. This is where iron sharpens iron as one sharpens another. And we can go on and on. I wish I had time just to do a sermon on all 59 and just go through those and give practical applications. I, by God's grace, I wish I could. I wish we, we, we could do this. I wish, I wish we could just capture every story of what happens in this body for the past 13 years on how we love one another. All the stories on how the Lord has used you and others before you to impact each other in this church, in this city. It'd be like volumes upon volumes upon volumes. It'd be incredible. Incredible encouragement. So, live in gospel community. If we want to love God and we want to make disciples and love our neighbor, this is how we do it. We, we, we live in gospel community. So if you're at the cross and you call the crossing home, you're not in a life group. Let me encourage you to get in a life group. You can't do it on your own, whether individually or, or a family. You need one another. God from the beginning has designed it this way. He's never intended for you and me and our families to be on an island by ourselves. Life's just too hard. Listen, the crossing needs you, and you need the crossing. So get involved. And if you are, keep plugging away. Keep plugging away. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's messy. But as MasterCard said, when the return on investment is priceless, it's priceless. Especially if you have kids in here. There's, there's a number of things, but let me just speak to you families. We have a lot of young families in here. You're raising kids. Um, as We have five kids, 26 through 19, and there's been a lot of things that have been an imprint on our kids, but one thing that's made probably one of the greatest impact, maybe our top three, is life group. Is the community. Is going to life group every week. Is, is living out the one another's. That they get to see that, they get to taste that, they get to experience that. And then as they get older, they're like, you know what, I'm an adult, I need that. So for those of you with young families in here, raising your kids, man, life group is so important. 
We live in gospel community. Another great benefit is it's one of the Christian apologetics that the Lord uses to minister to those that don't know Christ. And that takes us to leave a legacy because Jesus says what? They'll know you're my disciples by wow, how you love one another. They're going to see how you love one another and they're going to be like, man, I don't have that kind of community. I long for that community. That's why I go to CrossFit. I long for that community. That's why I go to a book club. I long for that community. That's why I go to, you know, fill in the blank. Your friends, your family that don't know Jesus are longing for significance and longing to belong to something. And we have the greatest thing that they can belong to, the kingdom of God. And so that's our third relational value that we want to leave a legacy. This again focuses on those that do not know Jesus. Yes, it it focuses on believers, but also those that do not know Jesus. We desire to leave a legacy for Jesus on the corner of horse tooth and shields. That this church is a city on a hill where people drive by and like, hey, what is that about? They come in and they taste and see the goodness of the Lord and then they go spread it to others. There's something else that we desire here. We want to be a generational church. What do I mean by a generational church? I mean, right now we have, you know, everything from, from newborns to, to old, older folks in here. That's part. But what I mean is I want, to, I want this to be a church that's going to be around here for 50, 100 years. I want to leave a legacy for Jesus on this corner. You do as well. The elders, the pastors, everyone does as well. But to accomplish this vision, it takes growing, mature disciples of Christ who what? Who pass on the faith. Who pass on the faith to those who do not know Jesus. That's what it's going to take for us to be a generational church. Is that we make disciples, and a part of making disciples is evangelism in our circles of influence. And over the past 13 years, the reason why we're here is because this is our passion. This is what drives us and this is what has been happening. Of course, not perfectly. All these things aren't perfectly. We have our warts here, but this is the consistent trajectory. And over the past 13 years, many of you and many of you, those that come before you have been ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through you. You have been the hands and feet and taking the good news of the gospel to those in your circles of influence and 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 many of you are here because someone has done that for you. You have tilled the rocky soil. You have planted. You have watered the seed. And by God's grace, we have reaped a harvest of souls crossing over from death to life over the last 13 years. And it's incredible. It's a privilege to be a part of. There's more work to be done. I mean, if you just did a you know, a percentage of who in Fort Collins in Northern Colorado attends church, it's probably like 3% like legitimate Christians. Like 97% that doesn't know Jesus needs to know Jesus. And guess what? We're the ambassadors that He's going to use to send out. We know that salvation is totally by God's grace. He's the one who saves, but He chooses to save people through you and me. We are the means in which He uses to proclaim the good news of the Gospel. Romans 10.14 says, How are they to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful, listen, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, who share the gospel. How are they to hear without someone? Who's the someone? Everyone in us here, the name's the name of Christ. We are the someone that have these beautiful feet to bring people the good news of the gospel. This is what Spurgeon said. I love this. He says, to be a soul winner is the happiest thing in the world. And with every soul you bring to Jesus Christ, you seem 
to get a new heaven here upon earth. We know that to be true, don't we? When we see someone cross over from death to life and they taste and see the goodness of the Lord, that their sins have been forgiven, their new identity is not what I once was, but now what I am. I'm a child of the King. The Spirit of God indwells them, empowers them to worship and to, to live out. We've got His Word in form. You see this transformed life. That's a bonus. That's a blessing. That's, that's a little taste of heaven on earth. So you want to change your neighbor? Who would love to change their neighbor? I'd love to change some of my neighbors, boy. I'll tell you that right now. How do I do that? Proclaim the gospel to them. Not only in word, but also in deed. That's, that's, that's how I'm going to change my neighbor. Now, when we talk about evangelism, we know it's a difficult and scary thing. Who in here just loves to evangelize? Go ahead and raise your hand. Got a couple people, because there's a gift of evangelism. Some people have the gift of evangelism, and, we'll, and most of us will be like, hey, I'll just leave it up to the guy that has the gift of evangelism. Because it's hard. When you talk to someone about their soul and the eternal life, I mean, it gets pretty personal. In the Midwest, they say, this is what you're doing. You're starting to meddle now, right? You're starting to meddle now. You're starting to get into my business. I mean, it's personal. It's like asking a married couple, hey, how's your love life? Right? It's difficult. But even though it's scary, we're all called to do it. We're all called to, to leave a legacy for Jesus. We're all called to evangelize. And evangelism isn't separate from discipleship. It's the first step of discipleship. Did you know there's no command in the Scripture that says, go evangelize? The only one that says, sort of in Timothy, it says, do the work of an evangelist. But it doesn't say, go evangelize. It says, go and make disciples. And a part of making disciples, the first step to make a disciple is to evangelize them, to share the good news, to share the bad news so they understand the good news. And when they repent, now they become a disciple. And here's the thing. This is why I love how one pastor puts it. Again, this is for all of us. If you have been redeemed and rescued by Jesus, now you are on the rescue team. If you've been redeemed and rescued by Jesus, now you're on the rescue team. You're, not, you're, you're, you're the one that takes the gospel to your friends and family. So let me give you a couple quick, easy, non-scary things that you can do to evangelize. All right? I'm looking out for you, okay? Number one, the first thing you can do is study and meditate on the gospel. Is, is, is study and meditate on the gospel Chew on the gospel. Chew on the good news that you were once an enemy and now you're a son and daughter of, a Christ, of the Christ. Chew on the grace of God. Be overwhelmed by the grace of God in your life. Study, meditate on the gospel. Bathe yourself in the gospel. And then learn how to communicate the gospel. So that's number one. First, begin with the gospel. Love the gospel. Meditate on the gospel. Share the gospel with yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. Second, we used to do this when we first planted the crossing. And I think we need to re-implement it again in 2023. Every person in here that names the name of Christ should write down five to ten names of people that do not know Jesus. And then every day, pray for them. Pray for them. This is something you guys can do. Write down those names. 
of those that do not know Jesus. Start praying for them every single day. Those you work with, those you sit next to in school with, your friends, your family member, and pray that they would come to know Jesus. They'd be interested in who Jesus is, what He taught. And then pray this. Pray that the Lord would give you favor this year in 2023. Pray to the Lord that, that one person on that list, that God would use you to bring him or her to faith in Christ. Just one on that list. For some of you, you might get five or six. But if you get one, guess what? All of heaven rejoices. So, 2023, write down that list. Write down those names. Start praying for them. Third, third thing you can do is you can write out and practice your testimony. So when that person does come and ask you, like, hey, why did you give your life to Jesus? You can say, oh, let me tell you. And you can tell them your story. And it's your story, so they can't argue with it. It's simple. It's easy. It's something that you can do. Practice your testimony. Let me give you kind of a, a way you can frame your testimony. It's three, it's three simple questions. What was your life before Christ? You just look at your life and you see like, Man, it was rough. It was messy. Struggle. You can see the sin. So that's the first question. What was your life before Christ? What was the situation or situations that brought you to Christ? In other words, what were those times you're like, man, I see my sin. I see I can't save myself. There's nothing else I can. I need a Savior. What was that? Maybe one instance, maybe a couple instances. Write that down. What brings you to Christ? What, what says like, I need a Savior and this is where you repent and believe in the gospel. Then third is your life after Christ. As you share with them, hey, here's what I've experienced after I've given my life to Christ. Here's the joy. Here's the peace. Here's the security that I now have because of Christ. Here's, the, here's how God has, is starting to, to grow me to become more and more like Him. We call it sanctification. So those three questions can frame your testimony. Your life before Christ, situation that brought you to Christ, and your life after Christ. And then fourthly, just adorn the doctrine of God, your Savior, as it says in Titus. Let your words and your actions line up. So when people see you, they see Jesus through you. Again, you're not going to be perfect, but they're going to see you. They're going to see 1 Corinthians 13. They're going to see peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and a love that bears all things, and believes all things, and hopes in all things. They're going to see that in you. So this is how, these are four easy, simple steps that we can all implement to loving our neighbor and leaving a legacy for Jesus. And so this is our, our prayer. This is our mission for 2023. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of His peoples. And to do that by loving God, living in gospel community, and leaving a legacy for Him. And as we do that, this time next year in 2024, we're going to look back and we're going to see the incredible things that God has done in our lives, in your life, in my life, and in this community. He's going to bring people that you never thought would come to church. All of a sudden, they're coming to church and worshiping Jesus right alongside with you. And it doesn't get any better than that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this simple truth of your commands, how you distill the Christian life down to 
one command in two parts. To love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And here at the crossing, how we implement that, how we execute that, is through those three relational values. And I pray that each one of us grows tremendously this year in 2023 in our love for you, our love for one another as Christians, and our love for those who do not know Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.